Anyway, Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 to 13. So we've been looking in, in a series uh, in, in Hebrews, and it's really written to a Jewish audience. And uh, we, we've already seen that we're, we're to grow on to maturity, that we're to find our rest in Christ, and that God, uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, God has spoken to us in these last days through his Son, we're to pay close attention to the gospel and respond, and again, Jewish context, but for us as well. Check your heart and partner with Christ. That was in Hebrews 3, 12 to 15. Last week, we looked at uh, Jesus being fully human and yet fully God and, and trying to wrap our minds around that. It, it, it's rather a difficult thing to understand that Jesus learned obedience through suffering, and yet he is the Savior and knows everything. So that's uh, kind of hard to get our mind around. Well, this morning uh, in Hebrews 8, why I chose this, because it, it, it tackles an important issue, at least in the mindset of the Jewish reader. The difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so uh, very easy this morning, the New Covenant, and we look at the promise. For he finds fault with them when he says, and this uh, men, men oh my, men oh my, uh, which means to bring an accusation against someone on the basis that that person in question is clearly to blame. Uh, the issue here is dealing with the nation of Israel, and you could extend that beyond uh, to us. There is a fault that God found with Israel. And uh, as we go through this, it'll become quite apparent what it is. Behold, the days are coming, verse 8. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Kenos is the word for new. It's new in the sense that it's never been done before. So if you're a Jewish reader and you're reading this, you go the new covenant is something that was not made widely known except in Jeremiah and a few other places in the, New, in, in the Old Testament that God was going to establish a new covenant, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and the nation of Israel. And I think a lot of their leaders were afraid to embrace the New Covenant and believe that Christ was the Savior because they were so anchored in their traditions. And so uh, he says here, Behold, the days are coming, declare the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now this word covenant, duthake, duthake, uh, that means to literally cut a contract. So when we think about the old covenant, it was a contract that was cut. Uh, maybe very much like uh, if you buy a car or if you, you buy a house or any major uh, uh, investment, you will sign a contract in which you, uh, the person giving you the contract will, will give stipulations. This is what they will do. And then, of course, on your end, particularly with payments and all those things, this is what you will do. And if you break that covenant... Chances are your house will be repossessed, your car will be repossessed, they'll take it back. So when we talk about 
the new covenant and the old covenant, we are talking about a contract that was made by God. Now this contract, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declare the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new contract with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The writer of Hebrews obviously is referring to uh, a divided kingdom. So to the north, Bethshan, Shechem, Bethel, Dan, down at the bottom, Jerusalem, Hebron, Beersheba. Uh, these were the northern and southern tribes. When we look at this, the northern, the northern Israel had 10 tribes and the southern had two tribes. So you had the 12 tribes of Israel. But there's coming a day, this writer says, when I'm going to make a new covenant. And it's going to encompass both the north and the south. Kind of uh, interesting, this is one of the observations here. Uh, John MacArthur, uh, well, we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But as we look at the problem of this, now look at verse uh, 9. And the writer says, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand. You have an issue here where God is taking, like a father, he's taking his children out of this bondage, which was 400 and some odd years. To bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them declares the Lord. Uh, when we think about this, this issue here, not like the covenant that I made with the fathers when I brought them out of Egypt, you remember that when Moses, after the ten plagues, and the final plague was the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh says, leave, and then of course Pharaoh changes his mind and comes after the nation of Israel. Moses is leading, and you think about all the joy. We're getting out of bondage. We're getting out of uh, captivity. And now we're going to be free, and we're going to follow God. But that really, didn't, uh, that really didn't pan out so well. So Moses now goes up to meet with God. And he's up there 40 days. 40 days. And the scripture says... 40 nights and while he's up there the people of Israel tell Aaron we need to make a God we don't and actually the scripture says we don't know what happened to him and apparently they thought that Moses got lost or maybe got killed or, or whatever they were thinking but they asked Aaron to take and start fashioning a God. Now, this is the God who is getting ready to establish the old covenant, which, by the way, Paul says came 430 years after Abraham. So uh, God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 precedes the giving of the law. At the very base and the very beginning of God wanting to establish this old covenant, they were already breaking it. So Moses comes down and he sees in Exodus 32 that they are breaking the covenant already. 
They've just been brought out of the land of Egypt. They've just been brought out of bondage. They saw how God held the, uh, held the Egyptians off as they crossed the Red Sea. They, they witnessed God carrying them across the Red Sea. And then looking back, they saw God swallow up the Egyptian army. And so here you have these people, God's chosen people, already defiling God. And so he says when, when he says this, God finds fault. Of course he does. He found fault because the nation of Israel was already, this kind of, I know we, we look at it and we go, how could they do this after they witnessed all the miracles of God? Well, think of it this way. How can we do what we do in our daily lives, knowing full well what God has done in our lives? So it's, it's easy to go, boy, they were, they were crazy to abandon God that quick. Well, in a lot of things, we do it too. Maybe not on that grand scale. But so we have to be careful, and we like to get on the apostles, the original disciples. How could they not believe? Well, you know, we, we need to be careful. Um, John MacArthur, this is where I was going with this. John MacArthur says this, the blessing of the old covenant were conditioned on Israel's obedience to the law that God gave with the covenant. So he had, he had all these regulations, stipulations, moral, civil, sacrificial. Uh, because Israel did not, God did not care for them. And of course, we see this throughout the life of the nation of Israel. Praising God, not praising God. God sending the Syrian army, doing all kinds of uh, issues to the nation of Israel. Under the law, his care depended on their continuance. So they had broke the contract. Her disobedience, and her meaning the nation of Israel, disobedience did not abolish the covenant, which it was still fully intact when Christ came, but it forfeited the blessings of it. And I think that's absolutely true. So here you have the nation of Israel who had rebelled against God, depending on what day it was, uh, you have the life of the nation of Israel just constantly all over the place. And actually, the Old Testament does say, put the law in your heart. It does say that. The problem is, there was no way that they could do it uh, up to God's standard. So this issue here of the problem, the central problem was that they had broken the contract. And of course, they lost the blessing. God would still be their God, but uh, it was not a good situation. Uh, Romans 7, 6 says this, But now, by dying to what bound us, that is talking about the law, we are released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. This, this transformation that's going to take place when Christ shows up, is going to be a radical new way of dealing with God. Not like the old covenant, not by the written laws which the Israelites didn't obey perfectly anyway. So Christ would come and he would inaugurate a new covenant. I think part of the reason that uh, uh, John the Baptist had so much uh, difficulty when he was baptizing people, if you go back and you read Exodus chapter 19, you find that Moses is washing the garments of the people the day before God spoke. 
So I'm assuming that the leaders go, wait a minute, it looks like John the Baptist is starting a new covenant. And of course, the day Jesus is baptized, behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Exodus 20, verse 1, I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me, and then goes into it. Uh, God is identifying that Christ will be the one that will inaugurate this new covenant. And so uh, also to show the difference between Jesus and Moses, John writes this, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So this new day of dispensation is now coming and it's going to radically change the way that we do business with God. And if, if, you're, if you're a Jewish person reading this, you could see where they might have some hesitancy about trusting Christ. Because they've always done it this way. And by the way, the uh, 29th, our Sunday school class is going to do a Shabbat dinner. Uh, we're going to do that here. That's for my Sunday school class. But there's, there's this tradition that's built within the nation of Israel. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you better get on board with this new way because this new way is the right way. It's, it's the way that God is now going to communicate with his people and how they are going to communicate with him. So that's the new covenant, the promise and the problem. The problem was the people could not completely honor it and therefore failed. So this new covenant will be radical and it's going to be inward for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days declares the Lord I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people four observations here as we look at this first of all the house of Israel you notice the shift in the verses previous to this, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah. Now it is now condensed. He's saying here that this is going to be uh, the house of Israel. Thomas Lay in his commentary writes this, the expression included the entire people of God. Although Jeremiah, this is actually a quote from Jeremiah, uh, had spoken a covenant which had applied to ethnic Jews. This verse focuses on all of God's people, both Jews and Gentiles. So when we think about Israel, and, and by the way, I know you all have heard the news uh, that Israel was under attack. I think the, uh, the death toll is now up over 600 on uh, the Israeli side. And I know that they, uh, the Israelites have deployed special forces. I've been, been kind of following it. They have been rounding up a lot of the people that, uh, that caused this. There's, there's a lot of images that I, I would not recommend that you go look at. Uh, but I do know that Benjamin Netanyahu has promised uh, a prolonged war. Uh, and ultimately, I think we need to pray for Israel, for their safety and for their protection. Uh, and it says here that, hey, 
we're part of Israel. This covenant that God's going to make, we're brought into that covenant. And, and by the way, Galatians says it this way. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you have been baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself, clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female. You are all one in Christ. This, this, is, this is important. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. This new covenant now goes predates the God giving the law to Moses. It predates that. 430 years before the law even came about, God spoke to Abraham and he said, if you get out of your country, I will bless you. So Abraham, by faith, Paul writes in other places in Romans, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Here's the thing. You and I as Gentiles are in a sense part of the nation of Israel. Our Abraham is the father of our faith. Of course, Christ is, is the one that gives us the faith. But we go back to Abraham. We are part of Israel. And which is why I believe, and Jesus said, pray for uh, Jerusalem, pray for Israel. We are connected to them, and therefore I would encourage you as your pastor this morning to continue to pray for Israel. We're, we're part of it. Scripture very clearly says, Paul says, look, you guys that are Gentiles, you belong to the seed of Abraham, and therefore we are part of the new covenant, the blessings that God gives to his people. Secondly, God says here, the law will be put in our minds. Don Noia. And I'm just going to read to you exactly from the, uh, the Greek lexicon New Testament. The psychological fac faculty of understanding, reasoning, thinking, and deciding. So this covenant law which was, by and large, external in the Old Testament. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not steal. You shall not kill. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, all these laws that he wrote, over 700 of them, are now going to come inward. So think of it this way. In the Old Covenant, you had the external and in the new covenant, you have the internal. Jesus was internalizing the law as he did his ministry. Jesus said, you have heard it said you should not commit adultery. Jesus said, but I tell you, if you've committed, a, you, you can commit adultery in your heart and be just as guilty as actually doing the adultery. So the law is now coming inward. God is going to write this on our minds. Um, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the issue in the new covenant is that God is going to put I've lost, I've lost Mike. Yep. I don't know. I'm going to have to just yell a little louder, I guess. 
Um, so this mind issue is so important because it is what God is going to do in our minds and how we go about living for him. Thirdly, the laws will be written in our heart. And the word really means engraved. God will begin to write his holy standards inwardly. And this is the word for cardia. And the cardia is the psychological aspect of the human life in all dimensions. So you have not only the mind, but you have the heart involved. Something that was, in, in a way, foreign in the old covenant, God's going to radically change in the new covenant. This is how God's going to deal with us now. He's going to deal with us inwardly. This is radical. This is a radical change that is taking place when Jesus comes to this earth. And Jesus will ultimately go to the cross. He will pay for our sins. Uh, he will die for those sins. He will be buried. He will raise from the dead. And of course now is reigning at the right hand of the Father. John MacArthur makes a good note here. Uh, I hope you can see it in the back. The new covenant worship is internal, not external. Real, not ritual. Then he goes on to say, he will be our God and we will be his people. We enter a new covenant relationship with him. Uh, years, years ago when I was in Bible college, um, I was in class one day and I said, well, you know, Dr. Haney, uh, we're now saved. And <laughs> Dr. Haney said, Michael, this is what I want to get through your head. Start thinking of it in terms of a new covenant. Start thinking of it in terms of a covenant relationship. And uh, Dr. Haney's class, you have to understand Dr. Haney. Uh, he taught uh, Ministry 101. And in his class, part of the midterm and the final, he gave grocery list. One, one, one guy... I, can't, I see his face, but I can't remember his name. He, he brought Dr. Haney, just before the test, he brought a grocery bag and set it on his desk. He said, what are you doing? He said, this is so you can put all your grocery list in there. Because we'd have to memorize this. Five times a pastor uh, should visit his people. Six ways the church can support the pastor. And he'd give all these lists, and you have to memorize them, because you would get those on the test, and you had to write them down. And I think they were worth one point each. There was, there was so many of them, uh, it was ridiculous. It was three pages full of this list. But one thing I do remember from Dr. Haney is talking about you have entered and I have entered a new covenant relationship with God. It's not like the old one. And brothers and sisters, if we were under the old one, we'd be in trouble. Thankfully, we're under this new one. Not only will this be radical, will it be inward, but it'll also be intimate. It will be intimate. And they shall not teach 
each one his neighbor. This is verse 8, or verse 11, excuse me. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Now, let me stop here. It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to teach each other. Pastors stand up and they preach and they teach. And you have Sunday school teachers that, that teach. doesn't mean that. And, and also in Hebrews 5.12, for, the, for by this time you ought to be teachers. You have someone to teach you. You have need for someone to teach you the basic oracles of God all over again. So it doesn't mean that we don't have teaching. But the issue is on gnosko. Now this word gnoso or no is a very interesting word. We think it means cognitive knowing. And it's kind of funny. Uh, this word, funny in the sense of strange, that none of the scholars that I read this week really wanted to deal with this word no. Because the, use, the word is used in a husband-wife relationship of knowing each other. And so they, all of them, glazed over this section. But what's important to know is the husband-wife relationship is one of intimacy. And so when he says, you will know the Lord, he's talking about a close, intimate relationship. Not one that's based on uh, externals, but one that is based on a close, abiding relationship with God. And the word reminds us that God wants an intimate relationship with us. Jesus Christ is a relationship, not a rule. He is a relationship, and he wants a relationship with us based on intimacy with God to know that when we face hardships and trials in this life, that we know that God is with us, he cares for us, and he loves us. That's intimacy, not that God's so far removed that he doesn't see or understand where you are and where I am in our lives, but he knows that he, we know that he knows and he's here with us, and therefore it is a close relationship. This idea and why the writer used gnosko instead of the other words for no, I think goes back to the Old Testament. The high priest was really the only priest that could go in to the Holy of Holies. And we looked a couple of Sundays ago. We, we, we talked about the holy place, which had the lampstand, the menorah, the bread, and the altar of incense. But only one person could go in and be in the presence of God. Here, the writer is saying, you will be in the presence of God. You won't need to have somebody say, okay, this is what God looks like. You will know God because you have a personal, intimate relationship with him. We, if you think of it this way, we have access to the holy of holies. Paul says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may find help. We, we have access. For they shall all know me. Verse 11. For they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. In other words, everybody that trusts in Christ is going to know him. For I, verse 12, for I will be merciful towards their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. The word mercy here basically means 
In other words, God gives us what we don't deserve. This, brothers and sisters, is a kind, compassionate God. I feel sorry for people that live their lives in fear. There's respectful fear and then there's fear. Listen, I want to tell you today that God loves you. He sent Christ to die for you. And he wants that close, intimate relationship with you. And he wants to express that love through his mercy. And when God does that, it is a game changer. Listen, we serve God out of love. We don't serve God out of fear. Because perfect love casts out all fear. So as we live our lives, we know that we're under the mercy of God. We have a close relationship with him. And you can imagine the Jewish reader reading this going, Whoa, that's totally different than the Old Testament. And that's what the author is getting at. He's trying to say, look... That's not how God wants to deal with us now. Not as the people of God. There's a change that is taking place. And I will remember their sins no more. Thomas Lay, the parallel statement that God would remember their sins no more reassured the sinners that God's forgiveness was complete. God, unlike human beings, does not say, I will forgive, but I will never forget. God promises to forget our sins. That's quite extraordinary. And do you know why the writer can say that? Because the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. You stand positionally right with God. You don't ever have to worry about that relationship. There may be times when we don't live like it, and there may be times when God has to discipline us. But I want you to understand that you are positionally right with God when you trust in Christ. And he doesn't remember these sins. They are totally forgiven, totally wiped out. And then verse 13, this is where he gets to the heart of the issue. In speaking of the new covenant, please notice this. In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. When Christ burst on the scene and he lived his life and he grew in every way as a, as a human being, and when he got to the place where he began his ministry, God began changing the way that he dealt with people. Only Jesus, only Jesus live the Old Testament perfectly. Only Jesus lived everything that God thought, spoke, or said perfectly. And because of that, he was able to be the sacrifice, the holy sacrifice in our, on our behalf so that when we trust in him, all of our sins are blotted out. Our iniquities are gone. Now God sees Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And this is not about regulations to get to God. This is not about doing what we can to maintain a relationship. 
or to be saved. Jesus did all of it for us. Now from that, from that, and knowing that God is intimate and he loves us and he shows mercy, he shows compassion, he shows forgiveness, my end, on my end, I want to please God with my life. You want to please God with your life. And you serve him because you love him. Not because you live in fear. There's a, that's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. And he says, in speaking of this new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. One time, a, a young kid, he, he heard me preach, and he said, so what you're saying is that we don't have to obey the Old Testament. And I said, I don't know which sermon you were listening to, but that's not what I said. You can go back to the Old Testament and you can principalize those texts and apply them to your heart. But what you can't do is go back and apply those biblical texts to say, see God, I'm right with you. That's the difference. The difference is Christ lived those. We, we go back, we read the Ten Commandments, and I would maintain people talk about the Ten Commandments, not all of them, but the, the Ten Commandments come over in some form in the New Testament. But they're inward, they're not outward. Because you can outwardly love your neighbor, but inwardly hate them. You can say, I'm going to do this for the person, but I really don't like the person. Yet you've broken it there. This is what the deal is. It's inward. It is in the heart that God is concerned about. In the New Testament, it is all about this, and it's all about this. We can do outward stuff, but God knows the truth. And so uh, I sent that, that. I didn't scream at the young man like that, but I just put it very bluntly. Um, that was not the intent of my sermon. You can certainly go back and you can, you, you can take the old, old Covenant and you can internalize it and use it by way of principles to live by. I've never said, don't obey the Old Testament. And even in my little article this morning, I know all of you read with eager anticipation when you came in this morning, uh, just by show of hands. No, I wouldn't do that to you. How many of you all read it? No. We are whole Testament Christians. The Old Testament's where we learn a lot of theology. Who created the world? God. Who created human beings? God. Where do we get that from? We get that from Genesis. All theology that we have is, is tied to the Old Testament. So to abandon the Old Testament and say it doesn't matter is inaccurate. But however, to use the Old Testament to justify one's position before God, that's a problem. That's a big problem. And that's the problem with the Jewish nation. And I, 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 I want to be a good guy and say that a lot of these Jews that read this trusted in Christ. I don't know. We're not really given that. He does say some are and some aren't. All right. Let's go ahead and end the plane here, land it.
first of all, no one can possibly get to God on their own merit. It's impossible. You can't possibly do enough to be, to make God say, okay, you, you've satisfi satisfied the requirements. Secondly, God promises to wipe out our sins and give us a new beginning. And those of you that have trusted in Christ, you're good. Make sure that you've trusted in him and that you didn't have a, a, uh, an emotional event. Because when it's just emotional, and I've seen this, I, I, I hope this guy, my first church, uh, this one guy came forward and he's all excited after the sermon and he came up and he said, now it's time to get busy. Told the whole congregation, time to get busy. I never saw him again. He probably got busy somewhere else. Uh, thought he meant here. Thought he meant here. But, and I'm sure, I'm sure that there's people that I've baptized that aren't even saved. They might have had an emotional experience when they were seven, eight, nine years old. But then down the road you go, the, the, the difference is when you trust in Christ and you know it, you know it, right? I know who I have believed and know that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. And then the point of life, the, the, the point of the Christian life at that point is to love God and to live for him in a world that is dark. I know you guys and gals know this. Look at our culture. It's dark. Our country is dark. And we are the light of the world and we're supposed to be out there. So God promises to wipe out our sin and give us a new beginning. Oh, and by the way, thirdly and finally, you can know the Lord personally, intimately, in a love relationship under the new covenant. God has coveted a contract with you in your heart. He has provided the way of salvation in Christ. He has given his promises to us. And now our part in the covenant relationship is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others. Jesus did, was asked that question and summarized the entire law. So this week, make sure to go out and love people. Know that your relationship with Christ is secure. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, and then spend our time loving people, caring for people, growing in an intimate relationship with Christ. And that's life. And you get a new beginning. And that's what this writer is offering the Jewish people, is a new beginning, a new way of coming.